Where's my Pushmina show? I have an announcement to make. I'd asked you for getting okay, that just, from Khan Mark. Just, what? Uh, huh. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> actually, first, an apology for not making this announcement sooner, and also for what happened at the wedding. I am so sorry. And for sneaking out to AvengerCon. Um, yeah, no, okay. Uh, okay. I am the light girl. You're what? Nightlight. Oh my god! I had no idea! Oh, Toba! <laughs> you told him already. Well, I only told Abu. Really? Well, what are you implying? In classic Khan gossip train, <laughs> you tell Omni, mm. she tells Abu, and we over here because he always has his phone on speaker. Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine. Welcoming back another returning guest, and that is Dr. Sai Islam. Sai, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, happy so to be back. Happy to have you back. This is uh, your third time you're, you're on here now. Um, and we're going to be talking about another one of the uh, the MCU uh, TV shows. But before we get into that, a few other things to, to talk about. First, why don't you give people just a little bit of a brief refresher about who you are and what you do and all that stuff. Sure. Uh, so I am an associate professor of industrial organizational psychology at Farmingdale State College and also uh, vice president of consulting with Talent Metrics Consulting. All that basically means that I uh, research and study the psychology of work and have a lot of fun thinking about work. Uh, and I'm also the co-author of a book about leadership in the Marvel Cinematic Universe called Leaders Assemble, Leadership in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. My co-author, Gordon Schmidt, appeared, uh, and I appeared on an earlier episode where we talked about um, Iron Man 3. Mm -hmm. uh, I was in the minority in loving Iron Man 3. So you were, you were kind of in the minority, but Gordon agreed with you, I think, more than he disagreed with you. And I was, uh, and you guys, and I had had, I no longer hated that movie. So I don't. I don't love it. It's still probably my least favorite of the MCU movies, but uh -huh. I I found different things to appreciate it after talking to you guys about it. All right. Well, that, that's good. So hopefully everybody gets to watch the movie again and listen to the episode. Maybe they'll they'll appreciate mm. Iron Man three a little bit more. Yeah. Um, another thing I've been doing uh, lately on the show is I've been ask asking guests kind of what sort of thing are they kind of interested in now? What's kind of grabbing their attention, grabbing their interest can be movies, can be comics, TV, movies, uh, video games, books, whatever. What is kind of uh -huh. like the thing you're you're interested in right now? So there are a couple of things that I'm I'm watching. Uh, number one is a show that's on FX uh, called Reservation Dogs. I don't know if anybody's seen that yet. If you have seen it, it's a really cool show. It's about um, a Native American community in Oklahoma, uh, primarily about a group of kind of lost Native American teens, but it's really cool in terms of seeing reservation life in sort of a different light it's it's very funny uh but it's also really dramatic and so that's been a really great show it you know it's it's very very good it's it's like uh it's up there with uh what we do in the shadows in terms of being like one of my favorite shows on right now okay uh, cool. so, i haven't yeah, even so heard of that show so that's interesting yeah so it's it it's only on, on its second season seasons are pretty short uh probably altogether it'll be like 20 episodes mm -hmm. um and totally totally worth it to to watch it's it gives you like a lot of insight into um you know native american life in the united states and kind of like you know uh, gives you a different perspective on that because i i grew up watching a lot of like westerns mm -hmm. and having that image of uh native americans and this is this is like a total uh you know totally different if you like the writing of 
Sherman Alexi. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's a Native American writer. Um, oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. He did, um, you know, he, he wrote a, uh, I want to say he wrote a book called Holy Smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's very good. It's very similar uh, in, in style uh, to that. I think, you know, just kind of slice of life stories with kind of uh, funny or in some cases poignant uh, angle to it. Yeah, I feel like I've, uh, I, I know his name. I feel like I've read one of his books before. Um mm-hmm. I'm just looking up real quick. Uh, so he, he, sorry, I'm just checking out real quick here. Um, I think it was like an anthology of his. Um, mm-hmm. No, actually I haven't, but I think I've, uh, so he did. Oh wait, yeah. The Lone Ranger and Tonto Fistfight in Heaven. That was the one I read. Oh, okay, cool. Um, yeah, I, I haven't read that. I've read mostly like his short stories. Yeah, that's that. That's actually that's a collection of of short well, there, stories. Maybe you know, I'm I'm getting old, so maybe maybe I have read it and I <laughs> I can't remember, but um, <clears throat> definitely like worth checking out. Um, you know, and then uh, we the other show that we my wife and I have been watching on Hulu is uh, called The Patient. Uh, it stars Steve Carell and Domhnall Gleeson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Domhnall Gleeson plays a serial killer that's trying to stop being a serial killer so he kidnaps his therapist. Oh, okay. It's obviously the best way to solve your your serial killing urges. Uh, <laughs> so that's been that's been pretty interesting. We were we were just talking about literally just before you got on your had on the, recorded the last episode with Mark Buskett talking about Batman Forever and that has, you know, a psychiatrist trying to cure a patient by fucking hurt him. So that's <laughs> Also, also not a good therapy. Technique. Also, not a good therapy <laughs> technique. Yeah, I think the the AMA might have some questions about that. Yeah, we gotta, you know, gotta make sure that we don't, uh, you know, the you know, doctor patient confidentiality. Mm, yeah, and, uh, no touching, right? Yeah. Uh, just... Um, but uh, so I because I just finished getting up. I don't really have anything new I'm into, but I will say again, just because it's worth repeating that I just finished watching um the third episode of um, the U S and the Holocaust, the new Ken Burns documentary. Oh, and wow. that is really good. It's all about oh, wow. the, um, the U S reaction to the Holocaust and like mm-hmm. how the U S was treating um, Jewish refugees at the time, how mm-hmm. um, people in the U S were reacting and responding to the Holocaust, how the state department mm-hmm. actually did a lot to deny it was happening at the time. There's wow. a lot of really interesting stuff in there. Like even mm-hmm. I've, I've done a bit of research around that period. So I'd known a lot of, a mm-hmm. lot more stuff than we're taught in school going in, but even still, I found a lot, a lot of things in that documentary that I didn't know before. It's mm-hmm. definitely worth a watch. It's on the PBS okay. app. So check it out. Wow. That's a great recommendation. So I'll, I'll probably check it's, that out. And it's, it's, it's also kind of terrifying because you see mm-hmm. how many of those, those same types of things are happening now. So there's yeah. a lot of terrifying parallels there, especially mm-hmm. with because we're recording this now in uh, mid-September and there's the whole stuff going on with DeSantis and the border, Trump and mm-hmm. QAnon and all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. you see a lot of that stuff was happening back then in America. Mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you, you're starting to see some of that also in India now with yeah. the current uh, right wing party the way they're kind of framing you know what it means to be indian Mm -hmm. uh, and what it means to be not indian uh there's a lot of accusations around uh you know just mobs of people 
you know, hunting down, uh, you know, uh, Indian Muslims Jesus. and bulldozing mosques. And it's also things like uh, that discourse is actually coming to the states there's mm -hmm. so i grew up in a in a town called edison where there's a lot of uh south asians and there are some uh indians living in edison that uh you know uh wanted it as part of their india day parade they wanted to have a bulldozer to kind of symbolize what's happening in india as like a that they support this that they support bulldozing people's homes if they're they're not uh hindu so it's very very interesting to kind of see that in in this context now did you um, ever see um hassan minaj had a netflix show for a brief time patriot act i did and see that yep he i remember one of the most one of the po most powerful episodes he did was one about this very topic about like mm -hmm. uh, modi in india and all the the rising mm -hmm. kind of ethno nationalism and all that kind of stuff happening and it's mm -hmm. and that show was on like what like four years ago or something and it's yeah. and this stuff is is still happening and it's getting worse mm -hmm. so it it's it's it, i i hope i that's an episode that I hope I could say like, oh, well, that was an interesting artifact in time. And thank God that's not happening anymore. But it's yeah. not quite the case. Yeah. Um, and that actually that connects to this one. It also reminded me that um, another thing that I've been doing lately is have you heard about the the partition podcast? Uh, no, no, so I've not heard about the partition podcast. This is um, it's a podcast that's all about like uh, the partition between India uh, in India and separating India into Pakistan. And mm -hmm. it's um, it's by like uh, it, it's being hosted by uh, I think she's second or third generation uh, Pakistani American mm -hmm. um, journalist. And it's it's really interesting. And she goes she's had a few episodes out so far and it, it definitely ties into what we're going to be talking about today. OK, I will definitely check that out because I know a little bit about partition, uh, partly from, uh, you know, like family history or reading on my own. But to have a podcast to follow along with would would be helpful. Uh, and then it, it's funny, this actually ties very, very nicely into what we're going to talk about with Ms. Marvel. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, OK, uh, so, yeah, like you said, today we're going to be talking about um, Ms. Marvel. And uh, before we jump into the show, what kind, what's your experience with this character? Have you ever read of her in the comics before? Have you read any of the or any of her appearances in the larger Marvel universe? Because I know you are a comics guy like me, so. Yeah, yeah. So I, I loved this character. I remember hearing about her, I want to say 2012, 2013, whenever they made the announcement that, you know, Ms. Marvel is going to be, you know, a Pakistani American teenager mm. uh, from New Jersey. And I was like, how did, how, how did that even happen? And if I remember correctly, the reason they, they brought the character back was they were worried about losing the license or worried Probably, about being able to, yeah, yeah be, being able to continue to publish. Uh, the character and so um, I'm a big fan of G. Willow Wilson I've read uh, you know a couple of her novels they're very good um, I've liked a lot of her comics writing I think she's uh, really one of the uh, you know one of the top top tier writers uh, in comics right now and I was like oh this is this is cool I really want to you know check this out and I started by picking up like the TPPs once they started coming out I'm kind of out of the the floppy uh, mm. buying game uh, which is which is not not great but I just a don't have enough space in the house and and b just want to read like complete stories or semi-complete stories same here um yeah so uh and so the character for me I I loved the the comic book um I've really liked a lot of her other appearances even in champions and I liked her you know uh, I haven't read all of Saladin Ahmed's run but I'm a big fan of his writing as well 
um, both of his like his comics work, and he wrote a great novel um, that I think is really uh, really phenomenal. And so I I really like the character. The character holds an enormous amount of like uh, personal meaning for for me because it's like such a weird. It, it's honestly a thing that I never thought I'd saw. Now this does this isn't to say there haven't been other comic book characters that have been you know Muslim or Indian, mm. um, but some of them have had these like kind of problematic elements to them so right. a famous example is is dust uh grant morrison created her for x-men and she has these sand powers she wears like um a burqa or in a, in a veil um and so it's it's oh i mean i was kind of i was okay with that character but um you know like the representation that you see with with uh you know ms marvel is something that's really close to you know something that i can really recognize because mm. i'm a guy that was grew up in new jersey and you know is muslim i'm not pakistani my family's uh from bangladesh but uh we'll, t- we'll talk a little bit about mm. some of the differences later but there's definitely a strong connection for me with this character <clears throat> and really that that character kept me reading comics um you know uh even even while i was working as a, as a professor early mm-hmm. on you know uh going on the tenure track you just don't have a ton of time to read comics but i was you know keeping up with uh with this character because it was so so um interesting and powerful and then my wife who is not a comic book person at all uh absolutely loves uh the the character she just loves the fact that there's a you know, uh, you know, kind of a, a South Asian character mm. that she can relate to and she can see. And um, my son, uh, who's he's two now, he loves the. Um, we got the Ms. Marvel Golden Book for him, and he loves reading it. He actually really enjoys the trailer to Ms. Marvel. Okay. So he loves watching the trailer. He loves the music, and he kind of like I, I don't know how much he fully understands, but he recognizes things in the show mm-hmm. that he's seen in 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 his own life where he's like oh this you know her mom looks like uh you know looks like his grandmother and he's kind of like oh this is this is exciting mm-hmm. so yeah th- there's a really cool kind of deep connection to the character i do like some of the other characters that are that are muslim that are out there that i think jeff johns has created a couple simon baz mm-hmm. uh i like uh, amulet who shows up in uh later ms marvel uh, comics in the Saladin Ahmed run, um, but I think I, I think that the other cool thing about Ms. Marvel is that that started a whole set of you know really interesting different types of characters. I think Amadeus Cho also debuted around the same time. I think um, he was a few years earlier, if I'm not mistaken. Uh-huh. I think he came about actually. I think it may have been like ten years earlier, actually. Really, that much? I think so. Yeah, yeah. because he was mm-hmm. already there, I believe. Uh, I think Greg, he came in Greg Pak's Hulk run, which was like oh yeah, that would be Civil War pre Civil War around that time. Oh, that is interesting. That's a that's a good question. When he when he debuts, let's see. Uh, oh yeah, you're right. 2000, 2005. Oh, so yeah, almost okay, ten yeah. years. So, yeah. Almost ten years before. Okay, that's true. Okay, yeah. So I I do think that there's this push for you know uh, characters of different backgrounds mm-hmm. you know um and i think there's something really valuable in uh in that and it, it deepens the stories and it makes the stories more interesting and fun uh at least for me uh i think it i think it makes it you know a lot cooler to kind of like read those sorts of stories especially because we know that 
there's going to be super powered people from all mm. all sorts of different places. Um, you know, there's even I don't know if you read this comic, but there's actually a Spider Man India. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I haven't read it, but I, I've heard of it, and of course he popped up in um in the Spider Verse stories, and in uh and he was a mem- I'm pretty sure he was a regular member of the the Web Warriors, which kind of spun out of that. No pun yeah. intended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that I mean that's been fun. Like that's so cool to have those those types of characters kind of pop up and um and I think that's what makes the the comic really uh you know really interesting, really fun. Um I actually reread the the comics again, like at least the G. Willow Wilson run, mm-hmm. and it's very um it it's fun to look at it and and see how much of it is like inspired a little bit by by Buffy. It's very like high school oriented mm. uh i recently reread the first like i don't know i want to say 75 issues of like amazing spider-man which is what we think of as the prototypical like high school character but he's only in high school for a little bit in those early issues he's only right. in high school for like the first year or two mm. um but ms marvel for the majority of her run she's been in high school dealing with like that high school superhero life and that also very much plays into the kind of Peter Parker elements mm-hmm. uh, of the character that I really enjoy. Yeah, I had um, uh, a few things I wanted to touch on there. First, I w- did want to touch on the the Muslim characters aspect, and mm-hmm. um, I do remember um, the uh, dust. And I just recently wrapped up a podcast with uh, two other guys. We had done a reread of the Morrison run, and when we were looking back on the on the dust issue, you know, there was this kind of sense of like okay, yeah, this is an attempt, but at the same time, why does the Arabic character have to turn into sand? It seems a little bit on the nose. <laughs> uh, I, I appreciate the effort, you mm-hmm. know? But uh, there, there was a lot of that, with, like, even with a lot of um, POC characters, there's, like, we have mm-hmm. to make their powers tied to their identity in some way, in mm-hmm. sometimes a very blatant way, like, you know, Sunfire is a Japanese guy who has the power of nuclear fire, which I'm like, it's a little bit odd or you know silver samurai can channel his his power through his samurai sword Mm -hmm. and there's a there's a lot of that kind of stuff in in a lot of these characters and one of the things i think that is nice about um ms marvel is that they find a way to to make her identity tie into like psychological aspects of her powers which is Mm -hmm. why in the comics when she transforms herself into carol danvers miss marvel look and there is that whole psychological aspect of it, which is really interesting mm-hmm. that uh, I didn't realize when I had read the comics, but other people have pointed mm-hmm. out to me and, and mm-hmm. it becomes a lot more, um, uh, it's a, it adds a whole nother layer to that. Um, but other than that, like it's her powers are just, you know, shape-shifting. She, it's nothing mm-hmm. that is tied to her being Pakistani or tied to mm-hmm. her being Muslim. It's just the, just like with, with white characters, right? There's nothing inherently white about the fact that Cyclops shoots laser beams out of his eyes. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's really interesting. The the body morphing thing also has another element um, that that I talked about with my with my wife a little bit, mm-hmm. which is you know, uh, girls going through puberty, right. they go through enormous changes in their body, and there's there there is that that element to it as well. There's all these moments in um, in the early Ms. Marvel comics where she feels like I can't control my body, mm-hmm. right? I don't know what's happening to it, and um, I feel like that that's something that uh, young young women can relate to in some cases where they, you know, they're getting they're going through all these experiences, these hormonal changes, same, you know, similar what boys go through. Mm. But I think um, 
that sense of, oh, you know, my, my body's no longer under my control or I'm not sure what I'm, what I'm capable of, what I'm able to do. I think that's also a big part of it, um, you know, in terms of in terms of her powers. I always I always found, you know, the the stretching powers and the big in beginning powers be kind of kind of interesting. And they have a very weird and deep explanation for why she can like expand mass in mm-hmm. in one of the later issues turns out that she's like borrowing mass from herself in the future oh. uh there's like a yeah there's a whole i can't i can't remember the exact details of the explanation but uh bruno in the in the comics does some tests and is able to figure out why she's able to embiggen because in theory you know uh, scientifically you're not able to just add mass to your body right that's right. like impossible so he was trying to figure out like wait a minute why can she embiggen why can she get smaller what's happening and there was like a weird time travel explanation for why that was that she was actually borrowing like mass from herself from future version of herself um to make that happen makes you wonder how that works with other stretchy characters type characters too like so. you know they, what is it unstable molecules that's unstable the molecules. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's comic book science yeah uh, but yeah i i remember when the and when that comic was announced and i remember there being like this kind of backlash to it just like mm-hmm. and and i from for the life of me i still cannot understand that i mean me being um I mean, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a cis straight white guy. I've, I've seen characters like myself. I've got no shortage of characters that look mm-hmm. like me. It's not going to infringe on me at all. If there are, if there are other characters who don't look like me, it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. So I have never understood that kind of backlash that even to this day, mm-hmm. we're seeing it now, we're, you know, right now we're in the midst of this, you know, racist backlash over the fact that there's a, a black girl playing little mermaid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think it's really interesting because we're starting to see this uh, with with Marvel stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, because you see this, you see comments like this about She Hulk. She Hulk right. was a character that's been around almost forty years, right? Mm-hmm. At, at least forty years, and and people are like, well, why do they make Hulk a girl? There's like some woke nonsense, and I'm like, but yeah, but this character has been around. There's no shortage of characters that are you know uh, that are introduced in a, in a variety of ways mm-hmm. that you know. For, that allow for some type of you know uh some type of diversity um you know so you you have different types of characters in the same kind of legacy mm-hmm. um you see that a little bit in uh in dc where uh where they're I, I can't remember if wally west is um he he's black in some later editions yeah of... the the new 52 version of wally west was was black and he's still around i think he, he, he goes mm-hmm. by wallace west though i think now now uh-huh. that they brought the original wally back but uh-huh. so they've got them both running around i think he's yeah the black wally west i think is running around with the titans as kid okay. flash and then okay. he got then the white wally west i think uh-huh. he's like i'm not sure what's going on with him right now i think he's another flash right now I, i'm i'm not up to date on the flash books right now i just assume that all the flashes are running somewhere yeah <laughs> in you know no matter what the timeline is that they're that they're around but that was a that was an okay change because there's no reason for you know there's nothing necessary for flash to be you know necessarily be white right, right. and uh i i just kind of you know dig the fact that we can have these sorts of characters popping up i mean if we get to the point where we have Wolverine's daughter, like X-23, mm-hmm. show up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I can't wait to see some of the reactions that people have about that because these are established kind of canon characters yeah. that are just, you know, now being introduced into the into the movie universe and the TV universe mm-hmm. because they're already there. So there's like, they're just this catalog. Um, 
I don't know if there were, there was some complaints. I remember when Hawkeye came out um, about Kate Bishop and Haley Steinfeld uh, kind of playing, playing the character that they, you know, but I don't think people have strong feelings about Hawkeye no. uh, the way that they do about Iron Man. Uh, we're starting to see some complaints already about Ironheart coming in and, and being introduced in Wakanda forever. Like, um, you know, and, and it doesn't do anything to harm the legacy of those mm. characters. It just makes these other new characters that are lots of fun. Uh, I will plug, I, I like the Ironheart comic book quite a bit. Uh, I thought that was really, really good. So there are a lot of really cool stories that are that are popping up. Uh, and it's nice to see them get translated into mm-hmm. this other medium so that other people can really, um, you know, get a chance to be exposed to them and hopefully uh, go back to the comics and start reading them again. Because, you know, I, I'm like a comics first guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm not as like, if I see a bad adaptation, I'm like, ah, that, that's not great. But I, I don't get that upset about it as long as the comics are still there mm-hmm. and as long as we still have that original source material. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, on the topic of Muslim characters, too, I, uh, I'm i not sure if you've ever read uh, uh, Christopher Priest did the Crew limited series back yep. in the early 2000s. I think it was early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as I love Sam Wilson as, as Falcon, I, I do mm-hmm. think it'd be it's really cool to see because um, in that you had the son of Isaiah Bradley Josiah, yeah. who um, was had gone through like the Vietnam War and the Civil Rights mm-hmm. Movement, and is kept young by the Super Soldier Serum, and, and he ends up converting to um, converting to Islam uh, later on in life. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this black Captain America who's also a Muslim, and it that and Justin and he was it was an ensemble book, so there wasn't a whole lot of time priests could develop. But Justin, like, mm-hmm. there's one issue where it's like all about Josiah's story and all about like mm-hmm. the idea of what's it like to be a black man in America? What's it like to be a Muslim man in America? And mm-hmm. one of the, one of his, um, the people at his mosque, they even say to him, it's like, that flag doesn't stand for us. You know, why are mm-hmm. you waving that flag? And that's a, and he's got that Captain America legacy, which in based on the truth miniseries is also this legacy of, you know, exploitation of his father mm-hmm. and his people. Mm-hmm. So there are all these different interesting layers to that character. And I would really like to see more done with him because I think there's so much to explore there. There definitely is. Um, there, I think Carl Lumley is coming back as uh, Isaiah Bradley mm-hmm. in the in the next Captain America movie. So it'll be it would be really cool to see, you know, Josiah X pop up as a character. But I think that's that's the interesting thing is that you take these uh, these characters that that are already rich with meaning, somebody mm-hmm. like Captain America, and you put the co- costume on someone else, and it changes, you know, the perception of that character, and it changes our understanding of what what the character means mm-hmm. and what the legacy means of of that character. And I remember Josiah X in the crew uh, being really fun uh, character to read, a really interesting character because his perspective was so different from mm-hmm. everybody else still like an underrated gem um you know from from that time period i think early 2000s christopher priest runs right uh really you know fun cool stuff it absolutely um, blows me away that he has not appeared anywhere since it's just unbelievable to me because he is, mm-hmm. is such an interesting character such a rich history there mm-hmm. and just like nothing's been done with him at all and i just i i can't fathom why nobody has gone back to that character yet i mean there may be there may be some some difficulty in finding somebody that wants to write him there's also the challenge of like figuring out where you where you're going to put him where Mm -hmm. where does he fit on a team 
Um, and then there's also the the added thing of like, does can somebody capture that voice, right? Yeah. It's very rare. Um, I find that people have a hard time following up Christopher Priest, uh, you know, on like I remember Reggie Hudlin's run mm. after after Priest had this like epic run on Black Panther, and it was good. It was pretty mm-hmm. good. I don't think it was as good as Christopher Priest's run. I think he's done some stuff in DC as well that's like really top tier. Mm-hmm. And then people follow up and they're like, yeah, they're they're not they're not able to to pull it off. Um, I think it would take the right right kind of story to mm-hmm. kind of bring back Josiah X. Uh, but it would be cool to see, you know, if there's if he has a kid or if there's somebody related to him that you know becomes another you know Captain America related character. Yeah, yeah. I just it it is something that I I. Because it, it's weird. It's like, you know, 20 years now. So <laughs> the character has not appeared anywhere since. It, I just think it, especially with all this new focus on diversity characters, I think, mm-hmm. and that's, and like you said, he has such an interesting perspective. Mm-hmm. I think it would be such, and when they've done things like that with like United States of Captain America, where they're bringing in mm-hmm. different characters. So I just, I don't know, if anyone from Marvel is listening or everyone who has contacts at Marvel, please, like, you know, this is a character that's right for, interesting possibilities to mine yeah for sure and i think there's um you know i think there's also uh you know with the new movie coming out maybe there's more some more renewed interest in you know some of these some of these characters i think i don't know if you heard this but i don't think the truth miniseries is available anymore i think it's out of print no i think they recently i because i they recently had a captain america sale and i did see it as oh really yeah oh okay because i i thought it was out of print for a while and i for a while yeah for Uh a while the trade paperback was out of print because i remember Uh i think it was like maybe two or three years ago there was Mm -hmm. a um a black history month sale that marvel was doing Mm -hmm. and they had the truth and all and basically all the books that were part of the sale were free um and for the truth they didn't have a a trade paperback of it they just had the individual issues so i remember picking up Mm -hmm. all those but yeah i think they've now put it back into print Okay, well that's good because it's it's a great book, some mm-hmm. incredible Kyle Baker art. Uh, really, you know, and it it will change your view of, of Captain America, especially yeah. because it is based on uh some real history, specifically the Tuskegee Airmen. Right. Uh, yeah. so really um really powerful book, mm-hmm. and uh you know get, gives you a whole new view of like what happened with Captain America and why um you know what why that story. Uh, resonates even more as like a metaphor for how things how things work in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so my I had also picked up the Ms. Marvel comics back when mm-hmm. they first came out, and and I really enjoyed them. Like I don't say it's going to be like one of my favorite books, but I can definitely see why this book speaks to so many people. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's an interesting. Uh, it is a fun read. I've gone and I've picked up that when the series came out the the tv show they did release like they had like a big ms marvel sale so mm-hmm. i actually picked up the whole thing so i've got all the ms marvel trades uh-huh. i've got all the champion stuff i already had her avenger stuff and um one of the things i really enjoy in seeing her in these other books like when she was part of the avengers was seeing mm-hmm. her interact with these characters that she's grown up idolizing i think that's it it, it brings a really interesting perspective um and i think and that actually ties in nicely to this because right from the start, we get that with Kamala Khan because we had a little mm-hmm. taste of that with Peter Parker and Iron Man when, mm-hmm. when he popped up. But I think it's it's really, you know, a focus of Kamala's character, like how much of a fangirl she is. Yeah. And it adds a new spin because when we think about a lot of these movies, I think people like us, people our age, we don't 
think about how long these movies have actually been around and how mm. long these characters have existed in their world. But mm. when you think about it, you know, Kamala Khan is what, she's 16 years old. So she would have been a very young child by the time Iron Man appeared on the scene and by the time yeah. the Avengers appeared on the scene. So mm -hmm. it totally, like, it always blows me away when I talk to my, my university students and they tell me that like, oh yeah, I've loved the MCU movies since I was a kid. I'm like, what how could you have loved them since you were a kid they only started like five years ago yeah yeah T time you know time goes slower for us like mm. this happens to me all the time i'll be like oh you know thor the dark world that came out like what three years ago and then i look and it's like oh my god it's nine or ten mm, yeah. and you know just like oh man i'm old now what what happened i teach a you class know? in uh in japanese film and um mm. i gave the students a list of the films we're doing this semester and mm. they're all like pretty much all of them are like you know early aughts films and then one of my students who's like 16 he's like wow these are a lot of old movies on this list i'm like what are you talking about old movies movies yeah this this just came out like last last yeah. year what are you talking about yeah like well aging is just like a weird time warp like mm -hmm. they they just don't have the same uh the same frame of reference and i think that's really important i, I also think that part of the reason the show has um i think it's really popular with younger kids mm -hmm. more so than than some of the older fans right uh and especially it makes total sense you the opening sequence for for the show is kamala creating a youtube video about you know the avengers which is exactly what a, a teenager in this day and age would do for, about her favorite characters in addition to like writing fanfic and doing all that other stuff i was gonna say that was a nice little spin a nice little update like not that people don't write fanfic anymore but it is a more kind of modern take on mm -hmm. that more of a gen z take on that where it's like well yeah she'd be more likely to be you know making iMovies and posting mm -hmm. them up on youtube than she would be you know typing away on a computer and it's more visual too to add to that mm -hmm. so yeah. yeah i thought that was a really nice nice touch that they did to incorporate that whole fan aspect into her character mm -hmm. yeah for sure and it's also going to be really fun to see her interact with some of the you know prominent uh mcu characters in the same way that when she's on the avengers mm -hmm. she has some really uh interesting conversations with iron man and with captain marvel about what it means to be a hero you know it's really different from you know, uh, you know, somebody who who grew up watching these characters and idolizing them versus like, well, I'm kind of a peer or I'm a little bit younger mm -hmm. and I'm looking up to you versus like you've been around my whole life and now I get to work with you. There's also that whole aspect of, you know, never meet your heroes type of thing, too, because and yeah. that that whole thing would be interesting. will be interesting to see how that plays out, too. Um, and it, it doesn't hurt as well that um, the actress who plays her, I want to get her name right here. Um, Iman Vellani, I think it's pronounced. Yeah. I'm pronouncing that wrong. I'm sorry. Um, but she is such a fangirl in real life, too. Like, her enthusiasm for for the MCU just, like, oozes out of every pore of every interview she does. Yeah. Yeah, she has deep-cut knowledge of a lot of the, the MCU uh, movies and, and things like that. And I remember I read somewhere on Twitter, people were like, yeah, she should replace Kevin Feige when he wants to retire. <laughs> and I was like, eh, that could work, I guess. She she mm -hmm. definitely could. She has that level of knowledge, but she has that energy that, and, and this is, you know, one of the things that really makes the MCU work uh, more than visual effects or even storytelling is they've gotten the casting right yes. quite a bit, mm -hmm. you know, from Chris Evans as Captain America to Robert Downey Jr., 
um, you know, even uh, you know, I would say uh, Tatiana Maslany as oh, yeah. She-Hulk. Absolutely. Yeah, she she's been working real well. So they've been getting the casting right, and so much of the work uh is done just by that. So you really believe that uh Kamala is you know loves the Avengers and is really excited to you know uh be a part of it all and is is just that pumped up so it's really exciting to see and and as kind of like long-term fans i think it's also kind of cool to see somebody that's very much like us that's mm-hmm. geeking out over some of this stuff uh that gets to be part of the universe well so i think and um yeah the casting I, it always amazes me that we're now on what like i've lost count of how many movies we've had so far but it's like it's in the it's in the double digits we're in like the 20s now and then we've got like a bunch of tv shows and if you put a gun to my head, I don't think I could think of a single casting choice that has gone wrong. It's very hard for me to think of any casting choice. Like, well, that was the wrong pick. Like, even even character choices that I've disagreed with, I've still thought the casting was was on point. Mm-hmm. Like with the when we talked about Iron Man three and the Mandarin stuff. I still thought Ben Kingsley is an amazing choice for the Mandarin, and yeah, even for that yeah. version of the Mandarin where he's playing, like he was still a great choice because he's got all these comedic this whole comedic side of him i never knew ben kingsley had yeah yeah i think that the maybe the weakest casting choice is maybe quicksilver from age of ultron oh i actually um, love but, that casting choice oh but yeah. i just don't think he gets a lot to do in that movie that's maybe a problem I, yeah i think yeah. that's the real problem is he just doesn't get a lot to do but i think if you look at what quicksilver is in the comics and mm-hmm. you look at uh aaron taylor johnson's performance he nails it he completely mm-hmm. nails that character mm-hmm. but you're right the biggest problem is that just he's not given a whole lot to do and then and the costume is bad yeah, yeah that's yeah. legitimately like one of the worst costumes that they ever ever gave anybody mm-hmm. uh so you know they didn't give him anything to do and they gave him an outfit that looks 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 terrible so yeah yeah but i think i think that's that's important i mean even in the new generation of the of the characters now um wyatt russell who plays u.s agent mm-hmm. is great casting um florence Pugh is incredible she's as amazing Bilova. yeah yeah so they're they've got Haley Stanfield as uh as as a uh, hawkeye like you mentioned before yeah yeah kate bishop yeah she's great uh so all of these characters i can already see the young avengers kind of coming out of that 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 group mm-hmm. um you know and i i really i think the casting has a lot to do with it and a casting has a lot to do with why this show uh works for me as well absolutely yeah um and also the what you mentioned too about the the fact that this is a show that's appealing more to young people i remember seeing a lot of people getting angry about like this is this show is is too immature it's too it's too i'm like not everything has to be for you <laughs> i mean i think it's like this show is probably not if i if i had to choose any marvel show like you said you can only watch one you know this would probably not be the one i choose but that's okay like there's other stuff that's made specifically for me and if this is stuff that appeals more to a younger audience, like, you know, like my daughter wanted, she's a little bit young right now, but, you know, if she can relate to this more than she can relate to, you know, Hawkeye or Loki or Moon Knight, I think that's amazing. I think it's great yeah. that we're getting more variety of stuff for more people to enjoy because, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid reading comics, like, it was a very lonely experience because nobody else would even talk about reading comic books. And it was just kind of like, man, I that's kind of the reason why comic fandom exploded on the internet so much is because that was the only place a lot of us felt like we could talk about this stuff. Absolutely. It's one of the ironies of the Marvel cinematic universe for me is like uh, when I was growing up, uh, you know, kid in the eighties and, and nineties, 
you know, in high school, if you were reading comic books, like nobody was like, oh, that's really, that's mm. really cool, you know, uh, and, you know, finding, finding t-shirts and merch and things like that, uh, it was hard. Mm. I could get really cool, I can get a Beta Ray Bill t-shirt from Kohl's. <laughs> like, how is that even a thing? How is that even possible? Kohl's is just like, you know, mom and dad wear, but mm. I can get this, this really nerdy t-shirt that I would have to go to a comic book store, like even 20 years ago to, to get, so it's I mean, really in my, in my university, you know, I teach at universities mm -hmm. here in Japan. I see these, you know, these cute university girls walking around wearing Marvel t-shirts. I'm like, what is happening? Like if, yeah. if that was happening when I was that age, my mind would have exploded in happiness. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, and you just didn't have that, that, that attitude wasn't there in, in college. It was, I think a little bit better because um, I could meet, you know, with uh, people that were also interested in graphic novels mm -hmm. and things like that. But the way that it's kind of become um, a big part of the culture, how we talk about things, is is really really important, and and it's very funny to me. But you know, the thing is that we always knew those stories were good, yeah. that they were you know appealing to people, and some of the stuff that we're seeing with you know with She Hulk and some of the other types of characters that are coming out, it's because the comic book companies realize like people want to see a different stories mm. and then b they want to see some part of themselves appear in these stories and i think it's part of the power of the mcu right now is that you can get some reflection of yourself mm. in in the universe and that's incredibly potent Absolutely. you know because like if you think about the 80s and 90s batman the likelihood that you were going to you know that we were going to get a ton of diversity in those stories just wasn't there mm -hmm. it was a very closed universe uh that that looked a particular way whereas you know marvel is trying to expand not just not just in terms of diversity but also in terms of like tone so you know they're putting out stuff that's closer to comedy rather than just action mm -hmm. or you know tension you know like a thriller or something like that um i think some of the backlash is coming from this shift in storytelling style where everything in the previous phases was all about leading up to uh, the Infinity Gauntlet storyline. Mm -hmm. And now Marvel's kind of like being a little bit more loosey-goosey about what, what they're showing. They're right. trying to have a little bit more fun and expand the brand a little bit. Which is something I, I like a lot. I like that not everything has to be leading up to it. And it actually does mirror <laughs> what was happening in the early stuff. Because if you go back and you look at the phase one movies, mm -hmm. there's not a whole lot of stuff that's connecting together, right? It's yeah. just like everything's there's lead up to the Avengers movie, but that's it. There's no yeah. like sense of a larger thing happening here. So I think it's kind of cool, especially after we've had this big lead up to Endgame, mm. And it's just like, it's, it's cool to just kind of like let everybody breathe for a little bit and enjoy these, these smaller mm. scale stories because not everything has to be a build up to something bigger. Well, it's just the Wong cinematic universe now. It is. Yeah. But I think, I think we've, we've all decided that, that Wong is the connective tissue for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think you know? so. Yeah, he's the new Nick Fury. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Wongers forever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, I love that episode. Yeah. Um, so one of the biggest controversies about this show in the lead up to it was uh, the the power change. Um, now, me, per and, you know, again, I don't have much of um, a dog in this fight. I'm not, uh, you know, I don't have the kind of cultural connections that other people had to the fact that the whole shape-shifting aspect and how that mm. relates to the psychological aspect. So I've got no relation to that whatsoever. So I can't comment on any of that stuff, but I, but just in concept, the idea of making her powers, this more cosmic almost thing, 
I didn't have a problem with it, and I thought they had handled it really well. I thought it looked good, and I don't know what what was your take on that the power change. So I I am a very weird fan because I'm okay with adaptations like kind of doing their own thing if it works for the for the for the film or the TV show, mm-hmm. and uh, I also think generally speaking, stretchy powers look bad on in movies and tv yeah right like i don't know if you've uh you know seen any of the old scenes from like fantastic the fantastic four movie we had actually just done two episodes on both of those okay so the stretching powers don't look great in that yeah right like i don't i don't think they look that good uh even in multiverse of madness even with a huge like sam raimi you know big budget it looked okay Mm -hmm. but stretching powers look really weird yeah i I just think that there's something off-putting about uh, the human body taking on these different shapes. I don't know if the CGI has gotten to a point where, you know, if you make it too realistic, it just looks disgusting. Mm-hmm. If it's too cartoony, it does it looks real fake. So it's hard to like bridge that gap and find that balance. And so I think the power change makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other reason that I think the power change makes sense is it brings her closer to Captain Marvel and Photon. Right. And if you're telling a more connected story, then that makes sense. It, it also kind of reflects the weird place uh, that Ms. Marvel was in when she came out as a character, mm-hmm. because when she came out, she was announced as an inhuman, mm-hmm. right? And if if uh, Marvel had owned the X-Men rights, the X-Men movie rights at the time, 100% she would have been a, a, a mutant. Oh, like, yeah. There's no I mean, question. I think G. Willow yeah. Wilson actually said that that was their original intention was to make her a mutant. But then yeah. editorial said, no, mm-hmm. she's got to be an inhuman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and, and that makes total sense to me because, you know, the the central metaphor of, like, mutant kind works really well with mm-hmm. being the child of immigrants and being under surveillance. Uh, so it totally, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that that is something that, it, you know, works for this character. But I did like the the kind of... Uh, I know people are saying that she kind of uh, seems like Green Lantern now with the with the energy powers, but I think it I think it works, and I think it looks a little bit better on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, they they did a couple things with her powers that I think deepen the character a little bit. So I love the fact that she um, uses her energy powers to build these pads that mm-hmm. she can hop on, like Mario. Yeah. Um, you know, because th- she's supposed to be a gamer and kind of a nerd. That makes total sense. And I think that really works. Um, the thing that I think people were upset about is one of the initial storylines, maybe, you know, the most powerful early storyline is when she shapeshifts into Carol Danvers. Right. And um I think there's some logistical reasons why that wasn't going to happen in, in this show. Right. They I weren't going to get Brie Larson to come in yeah. for this. So, I mean, you got to put yeah. things in that kind of perspective as well. Yeah. So that, that storyline is not going to happen, even though I would encourage anybody who's listening to this, uh, you know, to this podcast, if you haven't read just the first uh, TPV of Ms. Marvel, pick it up. That storyline is incredible because mm-hmm. it speaks to a lot of uh, experiences that, uh, I would say immigrant kids, minority kids kind of go through in terms of wanting to be accepted uh, because the storyline, uh, when she's trying to figure out her shape-shifting powers, she shapeshifts into what she considers on some level to be her ideal self, mm-hmm. which is she goes from being kind of a short, uh, dark-skinned, uh, black-haired Pakistani girl to tall, blonde-haired, blue-eyed and she has to come to terms with that white, kind and of also, turn yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, white white as well, right? And so, um, no, sorry, go ahead. 
Oh, no, I was going to say that, like, she has to come to terms with that in that story in order to return to her original physical form. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of depth there. And you get a little hint of that in the show where, you know, when she's trying on the Captain Marvel costume and it doesn't doesn't feel that comfortable to her because she's not used to wearing things that are that form fitting. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that that that's there. It's hinted at. But you do kind of miss out on that a little bit. Uh, I actually think there's probably something on the cutting room floor that's about that more dealing with uh, her rival Zoe. Um, but they, I think because it was only six episodes, they couldn't um, cover everything that they wanted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That first comic book is um, that first uh, graphic novel. That is such a good story. And, and not only does it, does it speak a lot to that uh, POC children of immigrants thing, but it's just like, it, it gives you a lot of insight if you don't have those experiences either. Like mm -hmm. just me as a, as a white guy reading it, like I, you know, it was, it was so relatable to experiences I had as a teenager, but at the same time also giving me a, so it, it does both a good job of being very relatable and also opening your eyes to this whole other perspective you may have mm -hmm. never considered before. Yeah. And I mean, that's what good storytelling does. Absolutely. That's what we hope good storytelling does. Uh, and I think it's really, really powerful to kind of be able to to see that. And I think they touch upon that a couple of times in a couple of different ways in uh, in the show. Mm -hmm. Her struggle to kind of be cool, to like have friends, and um, you know, especially because she wants to win this um, cosplay contest, and she thinks that'll you know that'll make her you know be more popular. You know, people will be really happy. You know, she'll have more followers. The, you know, one of the most 2022 things about mm -hmm. this is like, oh, I need more Instagram followers so I can compete with Zoe. Yeah. That's absolutely like something kids are thinking about and talking about right now. Well, also her whole relationship with Zoe too, right? The whole thing, she's mm -hmm. like, you know, she's she wants to be liked by the most popular girl in school type of thing. There's mm -hmm. that whole aspect of it too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I remember that as a, as a teenager, like, you know, both at the same time kind of resenting the popular kid but also wanted to be part of their group like yeah and but also now being a father too like the the scene that kills me is when um when her parents give her permission to go to AvengerCon, and and her, her dad comes in dressed the hulk and then yeah she's like this is humiliating and then he looks so <laughs> sad and despondent and i'm just like god i can relate so hard to that moment because i just know that that's going to happen <laughs> with my daughter one day well, I think that's one of the cool things about the character and also one of the flavors that you get mm -hmm. in this show. And also you see this in She-Hulk where they, they have families, yeah. right? They have real families. Uh, you know, Spider-Man has a family, but it's like a family of one, right? Mm -hmm. He has Aunt May, um, you know, in the, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Tony has a girlfriend slash wife. He has a mm. kid at some point, but it's not as in-depth and, right. and as woven into everything. But with... A uh, character like Ms. Marvel, you know, you you know that you have those moments where your parents are really trying. Mm -hmm. You know, you know they're trying, but God damn it, it is not. This is not the right thing. <laughs> this is not going to work. I'm sorry, we're not going to go together to a uh, comic book convention. Mm -hmm. And I remember having some of those conversations uh, with my parents where I was like, "Hey, can you take me to this comic book mm -hmm. convention?" And they were like, "This is a waste of time. This is a waste of money. Why aren't you just, you know, studying at home? That's probably better for you in your future." Um, and I think that that is extremely relatable, uh, especially I think for a lot of the female fans of the character. Mm -hmm. um, and the other interesting thing about Ms. Marvel, the, the comic, and maybe also the TV show, though I don't, I haven't seen a lot of numbers about this. 
um the comic book brought in a lot of new readers to mm-hmm. to the world of comics i i've met people that said that oh i don't read anything except this one book that i really like mm-hmm. um so that was one thing that i think marvel noticed is that there was sales happening in non-traditional locations with the character and in fact the character is popular enough that she shows up in a lot of other media she's in a lot of the cartoons now yeah. which is kind of incredible yeah they've got those um i think it's the the shorts on um disney plus i've seen like there's a lot of them about ms marvel yeah um, and yeah. i haven't seen all of avengers assemble but i think she appears in that a few times as well in the yep. later seasons <laughs> um and uh and you said there's like the there's a, a children's book or something with her you were there is about? yeah there's yeah. A, there's a golden book with her uh in it there's also um you know there's also a young adult novel like a, a kind of a kid's novel mm-hmm. uh with her uh in it as well uh you know and it's really interesting how many different places she's popping up in terms of multimedia she's in the video games too right um, yeah she's the central character of the uh the avengers playstation game and nuts you know, yeah. like, uh, you know i remember when they announced that and i was i was being really I, and i didn't realize how popular she had gotten but mm-hmm. now that hearing about that like it makes total sense why she would end up being the focal point of that game yeah but one of the weird things actually in re- in the last couple of years of marvel is they haven't put out a standalone ms marvel comic uh oh, really? over the last couple of years okay. yeah like since the sell of the Nahmed run um i think they I don't know what they're planning on doing with the character just yet, but they they haven't had she hasn't had a solo series, um, which is which is which is crazy. Uh, there's a writer uh, from the Hollywood Reporter and Variety, a guy named Richard Newby. He was like uh, after the show came out, he was asking and tagging Marvel like, "Hey, you need to put out a a show." Uh, sorry, a, a comic book series with this character. Mm-hmm. People really like her, and you know that's been true for for many years now. She's she really has that Peter Parker vibe. Oh and, yeah, you know. And between the two companies, they haven't really launched many characters that have grown in popularity um, over the last like you know ten or fifteen years. I don't. Yeah, um, there was an attempt. I remember to have that um, the second Nova character, uh, Sam. Uh, mm-hmm. what's his name but that character never really caught on i don't think mm-hmm. like he mm-hmm. like they kept trying but i don't think anybody that character really spoke mm-hmm. to a lot of people but miss yeah. marvel you know she's really spoken to a lot of people like she's a really uh she's a character that a lot of people can relate to um a lot of new readers and and viewers can relate to and and yeah that 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 surprises me that i thought she had i thought the i thought her she'd still had an ongoing series at the moment i didn't realize that they had um they didn't have one right now yeah, I don't think they have one right now at the at the moment. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that she's just a, maybe appearing in team books right now. Okay. Um, you know, so uh, I would love to have you know I'd love to see another you know series with her. Um, you know, but I'm glad that she's showing up in all of these other media, mm-hmm. and I think the show does a good job of translating like what's what's important about the character. So mm-hmm. I know the the power set thing. I kind of wish the powers could have stayed the same, but I appreciate the what they what they were able to keep, which is they were able to keep some of the shape shifting stuff with the energy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, while still tying it closer to Captain Marvel and still giving her a way to kind of learn about those powers because in those first few uh, uh, TPBs, that's a big part of what she's what she's trying to do. She needs to figure out how these powers work, why they mm-hmm. work the way that they do. Um, I also think. This hasn't been officially announced, but I'm pretty sure that the bangle that unlocks her power, I'm pretty sure it's a Negaband. Yeah, uh, I think same it's here. Quasar's Negaband. So, 
Um, I don't know if they've confirmed that or not, but that's my uh, that's my understanding. That was what I thought. That was where my mind first went to, which also connects it more to, to Captain Marvel as well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, also, and the it's the connectivity. Another thing I was thinking about when I'm watching uh, her interact with her parents, I was thinking about a lot like my parents. I'm like this, her relationship with her parents was very similar to the relationship I had with my parents back then. Like it's, mm-hmm. you know, my mom was kind of like the the more overbearing, more strict one. My dad was much more laid back, much more, mm-hmm. you know, kind of Lucy type of thing. And just like watching her interact with them, it was bringing back so many memories of me interacting uh-huh. with my parents. And I thought that was also another way that shows you just like how accessible these stories mm-hmm. are. Yeah. I mean, I think people can relate. They, they might have a parent that's like, a little harder on them and another mm-hmm. one that they go to for sort of comfort. There's also somebody mentioned this on Twitter and I can't remember who it was, but they said that this, I don't watch a lot of Bollywood movies, but mm. apparently in Bollywood, there's this trend of dads kind of being goofballs. Oh and kind yeah. Of being silly. Mm. And so her dad definitely fits that bill. He's like the, whenever you see him, he's like eating sweets. He seems a little befuddled most mm-hmm. of the time. Um, you know, and so I think that also kind of taps into some of those, you know, uh, Bollywood tropes that we we don't traditionally think of, mm-hmm. um, you know, but we, we see some of that influence in some of the music choices and some of the set design and production design of the of the show mm-hmm. as well, that there's yeah. tons of music from all sorts of different parts of the world, from the UK, from India, from Pakistan. It's really, really interesting. Now, one of the things that um, I found myself, like, I, I'm... So I, I think that this show almost tries to do a little bit too much in the first season. Mm-hmm. I feel like if I was show running this, I would have, I think the Pakistan, the Pakistan stuff is very interesting. It's mm-hmm. very well done, but I think I would have liked to save that for the second season and just have the first season focused mm-hmm. in Jersey. Uh, what about you? What were your thoughts on that? So I, I was in the bag for, for the, for the show. So I'm, I'm very bi- pro biased uh, in favor of the show. I really loved a lot of the um I don't mind that it feels a little overstuffed. Mm-hmm. So I actually think that um you know they probably might have thought that we don't know if we're going to get another season out of this. I think so, yeah. But we got to shoot our shot when we get the chance. But I think it works for the mm. most part. It it's breakneck. I think it moves very very quickly and there's a lot of stuff happening in it, but I think a lot of it uh more of it works than doesn't. I think so, um, yeah. You know, there's some things uh specifically around clandestine and kind of like mentioning asking whether or not she's she's a gin or she's something else that uh so that that gin thing actually became a big talking point in the south asian muslim uh nerd community especially between episodes mm-hmm. uh some people didn't really like that it, it felt maybe a little orientalist um but after watching the series uh so i've kind of watched it t- uh, fully like twice now I kind of think that one of the threads in the story is about uh, Kamala's like own identity. Mm -hmm. And so having that idea that, okay, are you, you know, where did the superpower come from? Are you some mystical creature? Are you something else? Are you something from like the, the folklore of people in Pakistan or, or are you something else? And then finally the big reveal at the end of the series about what she actually is Mm -hmm. um and then her response to that kind of saying it it doesn't really matter she you know aside from those labels she is she is who she is Mm -hmm. i think that's important because um you know uh if you're growing up as a minority in the united states or any other country part of 
your growth process is kind of identifying yourself and coming to terms with both your identity, like the stuff that is inherently a part of you and the parts that you keep versus the parts that you don't. And right. um, I think that, you know, giving, giving the show like a, a month or two, uh, you know, since, since the last episode came out and kind of like coming to terms with that and seeing it as a whole um, as a, as a season arc, I think it makes a little bit more sense and I think that's why they have, you know, this journey to Pakistan, um, because that's also mm. something uh, that she, you know, that she kind of comes to terms with for herself. They actually adapted a wide range of the comics as well, because she does go to Pakistan in, um, you know, in, in the Ms. Marvel comics. Mm. She has a storyline there with Red Dagger. She has a whole, um, there, there's a whole series of storylines there. And it's a lot. They cover an enormous amount in, in just these six episodes. I, I gladly would have watched an additional two mm. episodes. Uh, you know, Marvel, if you want to give give us more episodes, we'd be happy well, I think to watch. They've, haven't they already, I think they've already announced a second season, haven't they? That's the rumor. That's okay. the rumor. But I haven't seen it confirmed anywhere uh, that okay. I actually okay. trust. That, that that's a fair point then i had heard about a second season so i just assumed that it was already greenlit then um mm -hmm. but yeah that was my biggest thing and it's not and again it's not saying that pakistan stuff is bad by any means i thought it was really interesting um it was really cool to see them shoot it, i think they actually shot in pakistan didn't they uh i believe it was thailand oh thailand yeah. okay yeah um, like I, I think pakistan presents some interesting logistical problems i was wondering about shooting. that yeah yeah mm -hmm. um but just like being able to show that other side and like delve into that kind of aspect of, of her character and then going into the history of it with the partition, because like you, like we'd mentioned earlier when we were talking about that podcast, partition's not something that even people of Pakistani descent really know a lot about because it's mm -hmm. something that one of the things they talk about in the, in the podcast is how a lot of people who have gone through partition they don't really want to talk about what their experiences were like back then mm -hmm. because it was so traumatic and 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 which is understandable but it and but up until that the only thing i had ever heard of partition up until ms marvel was the scenes in the movie gandhi about partition and yeah. that was about it and i'd know nothing else about it really yeah there's there's actually a long history of uh, and it's funny we're talking about this like right after uh, Queen Elizabeth passes, but mm. um, the British did a lot of really negative things in South Asia. Yeah. So by to some estimates, the least. to say the least, by some estimates, they they had taken forty five trillion dollars worth of wealth out of out of India. They um, Winston Churchill at least. Uh, starved out uh, parts of the Bay of Bengal, mm. you know, parts of what we would call modern day Bangladesh, um, you know, killing somewhere in the range of, I don't know, six to 10 million people uh, over a period of, you know, over a period of years. Uh, if you ever see the movie Lagan, which is an Indian movie about, uh, you know, British uh, colonies uh, kind of demanding higher taxes of uh, the Indian community, uh, that's a very fun movie, but it's about like a really tough subject. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that happened during that time. And then if you read a little bit about partition, partition was really haphazardly done. Like they sent somebody, uh, I believe somebody named Radcliffe to, mm -hmm. to, uh, to India. He basically decides like kind of on a whim, here's where the, the borders are. And then people have to just go. And I think it's still considered the largest human migration in human history to yeah. and to have happened as quickly as it did. And so people lost family members. 
um people lost you know you know property legacies um you know uh you know there are a lot of people in in modern day Pakistan now who still have roots in other parts mm. of India and there are people that went to India from other parts of you know um you know what is now Bangladesh and Pakistan that have roots in those in those places mm-hmm. um and it was it's all because of the fear of kind of sectarian violence when the the country was split mm. so it was really um you know uh very poor di- diplomacy and very bad thinking around this uh I think it's it's really interesting to see it show up in a uh, in a comic book story, mm-hmm. but I think it also kind of uh, you know has this sort of thematic echoing to what the villains of the of the show were trying to mm-hmm. uh, were trying to do. Right? They they were ex- they were outside of their traditional homes and they were trying to get through their own partition to go back. Right. Um, and there's you know there's always this sense of you know people. In, in the modern era of South Asia, kind of building uh, a new identity and a new new sense of self mm-hmm. out of the rubble of of partition. Yeah, uh, you should definitely check out that podcast because they did a, they did a whole episode about mm-hmm. that kind of haphazard partitioning, and mm-hmm. um, they'd also done two episodes about the experiences of specifically about women going through going through all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it's a really good listen. I think it, it's still ongoing. So. Um, by the time by the time this episode comes out, it should be all completed, though. Oh, okay. um, I, I believe so. Uh, but yeah, it's and uh, well, also the fact that they're doing this through uh, a comic book show, it also echoes what Watchmen did with uh, with the Tulsa mm-hmm. riots, right? Mm-hmm. And, and just kind of like, and it's it's so interesting to see these things brought to light and brought to more awareness, brought to them through these things. Because actually, when I think about it, that's how I learned a lot about the Holocaust was because the X-Men talked about it so much Mm. and because, and otherwise like the civil rights movement too, to a lesser extent was because it was such a big focus of those Mm. comics I read when I was growing up. Whereas in, in history class, it was just kind of like, we're going to talk, spend a little bit of time of this, but not going to talk too much about it. And, and with stuff like Tulsa or, uh, or partition, like this is stuff I had never known about. Yeah, I mean it it's really interesting because the narratives that get told are are told by, you know, whoever's in power and mm-hmm. people don't want to talk about, you know, the you know, uh something like Tulsa which is like a real expression of white supremacist power. Right. Um, you know, and 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 frankly a, a really terrible uh story overall. People don't necessarily want to remember that, but it's important for us to kind of re- recall these t- types mm-hmm. of things and that's why uh, you know, I'm glad that if the show started a conversation about partition amongst people who never thought about it, if they picked up a book or listened to a podcast about it because of the show, I think that's that's the power of including, um, you know, some real life elements in these, you know, kind of goofy comic book mm-hmm. uh, type uh, type shows and, and movies. Yeah, absolutely. Um so I, I, you put, you made an interesting point about the clandestine here and their mm-hmm. desire to, to kind of overcome. I had not, I had not realized that um, as I was watching it, but it does mm-hmm. make a whole lot more sense. And that's a whole new spin because the clandestine stuff to me was, you know, to be honest, it was kind of like the least interesting thing about it. The show for me was, was all the stuff involving them. I was so much more invested in Kamala and her experiences becoming a hero and, her experiences in Jersey, which is also why as much as I like the Pakistan stuff, I did wish it was in a, its own separate season mm-hmm. so that we could have had, because I thought the, I feel like this story really kind of fired on all cylinders when it was in the Jersey setting. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the thing about, uh, so this is a common thing about Ms. Marvel. I, I don't know if you noticed this in reading some of the comics, but her villain roster is not particularly strong. Well, in that first um, graphic novel, she doesn't really have a villain. As no. Far as our, yeah. No, her villain is like herself figuring out what she wants to do. Right. You know, and then there's the inventor who's this like part cockatoo type character mm-hmm. that's kidnapping teens. It it very much feels a little bit like Scooby-Doo a, mm-hmm. a bit. Not in a bad way, but in a way where it's like, yeah, this is this is very much teen teenager type stuff. Um, you know, later on she has um I will say the Ms. Marvel comics are are very on the nose with regards to their metaphors, because they had another character that was like working with Dr. Faustus and Hydra that was trying to take over Jersey City. There's like a character called Detention that's basically like <laughs> a an authoritarian. I mean, they're not like they're not being subtle about any of the metaphors that they're that they're talking about in the comics but the villains are without a doubt the weakest part mm-hmm. of uh you know of the um of the comics especially even like uh it was more fun when she teams up with Wolverine you didn't even need a villain you just wanted them to hang out right yeah and that and was I, I remember that, that being, being one of my favorite issues was her yeah. interacting with Wolverine absolutely and it's just like it's exactly like the kind of fangirl that you would expect to just hang out with Wolverine take a selfie with him ask him all these questions and then still get a lesson from from the character Mm -hmm. so I think they've made that they make that very very explicit um but I do you know I love like her friends I like her chemistry with Bruno Mm uh you know I like the fact that they spend some time with her her best friend Nakia you know, uh, I, I think it's great to see her relationship with her brother, with her parents. And, you know, uh, I mean, the wedding episode is so much fun, mm-hmm. right, to, you know, kind of just see her her do that. But it's also very much a Peter Parker moment where she's got to pull the pull the fire alarm and right. run her brother's wedding. Right. Uh, so the clan and the clandestine also uh, and this goes back to a time thing. It's very unclear what their actual powers are. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, what is their power set? Like, uh, you know, are they super strong or super fast? Um, you know, what weaponry are they using? It's very, very unclear what they're what they're capable of. Um, and even even her like semi love interest, Kamran, mm-hmm. we're not really sure what his powers are either. And and what the relationship is between him and like the rest of the clandestine. Mm-hmm. Um I do think it's kind of a funny way to reappropriate the Alan Davis comic book. I don't know if you ever read. I, I was thinking about yeah, because now I've never read them other than like I know they had a crossover with X Men at one point, and mm-hmm. I read that, but that's like my only experience with with the clandestine. So I thought that that's what I thought. I'm like, this is such a weird choice to pick, like such a weird deep cut. And, yeah, and it's clear they're just like and they did the same thing that um, which funny enough when we talked about moon knight it was the same situation in moon knight where the character they pick for the villain is just this obscure name they take out and they pluck on this character i feel like they did the same thing with the clandestine here i think they chose the clandestine because the clandestine are supposed to be jinn actually mm-hmm. okay. the the original characters uh are supposed to be you know it's a it's a british uh you know i forget the main uh main character from clandestine but he falls in love with a jinn they have some some children those children then have powers and so that's very explicit uh i I can see that as an explicit choice that's Mm -hmm. been made by uh by the producers of ms marvel to kind of say well there are jinn characters in the mcu we're going to use them for uh you know for ms marvel but you know they're also not the driving 
uh, engine of the story necessarily. It's mostly, again, about her like self-discovery. Mm, yeah. <clears throat> uh, so yeah, I'm just looking up about them. Um, so yeah, yeah, he has this Im- uh, th- ends up getting up with um, an angel. I'm not sure if it's a gin specifically. I'd have to read more into that. Might mention that somewhere in here. But yeah, and they're like this very long-lived group of characters. And it's also interesting that they've taken this idea of um, how they're gin in the comics, but they're all a bunch of white people from England. And then they yeah, take well, that and they give it to um, to yeah. uh, people of um, Southeast Asian descent in this one instead. Yeah, so that was a nice little change, I thought. Yeah, there's actually well, there's more, much more diversity in the in the group because there's an African American. Mm. Uh, oh, that's person. right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and there's there's you know a couple of South Asians and um but the reason for that was because you know uh in the clandestine comics that character you know he's he's British and he's just with a jinn and then right. he stays in Britain and his descendants continue to have superpowers because of that original relationship. There's actually a you know a a little um, genealogy chart that you can find online of the clandestine that shows you like where it started and where they ended up yeah uh, it, it's alan davis who's who's usually pretty good but the, the comic book's not not great mm-hmm. um it's it's only really it's okay um you know marvel if you want want to give me a shot at rewriting <laughs> you know clandestine just give me a call yeah I'll, i mean I'll the um I remember because I, I remember reading their X Men crossover. The thing about Alan Davis is I, I love his artwork, but his the stuff I've read that he's written hasn't been as interesting to me. Like he did a run on X Men that didn't really do much for me, and the the clandestine thing he wrote with the clandestine X Men crossover, I just kind of like breeze through that when I was reading it in the in one of the epic collections because it just mm-hmm. it didn't really do a whole lot for me. I'd like the the characters never really seemed very interesting to me at all. So. Um, so yeah, I was when they mentioned clandestine in the show, I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I remember those guys. And mm-hmm. then that was like the extent of my interest in it. Yeah. And and I do think that they're they're mostly there to kind of get Kamala to confront her mm-hmm. her past and how she feels about her her family and not really understanding where where she comes from or you know, and it's it's also really important in the show there's a thing in south asian culture where you don't talk about painful things or shameful things from from your past Mm -hmm. and so her grandmother uh her great-grandmother is treated as like one of those shameful secrets um and one of the funny things is she she doesn't really do much she just disappears for you know no real reason nobody Mm -hmm. understands why and that becomes something of a shameful secret for uh for her family and it becomes an issue for for you know Kamala because it stops her from really knowing and understanding where her family comes from, mm-hmm. um, and that happens sometimes. You know, like there there are things that you know um, during the during early twentieth century that might be considered shameful or or too painful to, to discuss that we would talk about in 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 modern era. Um, you know, for example, my grandmother she lost uh, my grandfather very early on when my dad was only four. She never talked about my grandfather like mm-hmm. ever. Uh, because it was not necessarily because she was shamed, but it, she felt it was too painful and she didn't want to dwell on it. So there's there is that that part of the culture uh, that's kind of reflected in in the show. That explains so much about the the partition thing and mm-hmm. and just like because when I'm listening to this podcast about partition and they're talking about how so many people their families and they're growing up they're like we don't want to talk about that we don't want to talk about that and it it's such a 
interesting contrast to when you think about the Holocaust, where it's, you know, those people are constantly encouraged to, to share their mm-hmm. stories and to talk about what they went through in the camps and all that. And it's this interesting cultural difference, but also not, I think part of it is cultural. I think there's also maybe a, there's probably a not so subtle racism aspect of it as well, where it's like, mm-hmm. we want to hear about the hard things that white people have gone through, but we don't want to hear about the hard things that Brown people have gone through. Yeah. I, I think that's part of it. I think there's also, um, one of the key differences with the Holocaust as well is there's a lot more video documentation yeah. of what happened, right? Mm-hmm. And so once you can see it, it's hard to turn away. Right. Um, and then there's also a question of like, is, are there people, especially in, in the Western world, ready to, to listen to what happened um, in India when, you know, a, a Western power ostensibly is the, is the cause of mm-hmm. all this suffering you know, the people in power, they may not want those stories to be told or discussed. And there's also a lot of, you know, uh, chaos that happens mm-hmm. uh, leading up to, you know, Indian independence and Pakistani and Bangladeshi independence, a lot of turmoil during this time. So there may not be as much of an opportunity to kind of collect a lot of those stories uh, as well. Uh, whereas, you know, in, in, you know, uh, I would say the Jewish diaspora, they've done a very good job of kind of collecting those stories and documenting uh, what happened during this during the during that time. I think also the fact that the Nazis were so bureaucratic and they kept so many records of stuff also it's definitely true, yeah. helped, helped that as well. And mm-hmm. um, well, also, I, I was not expecting this, you know, U.S. and the Holocaust documentary to, to so connect to what we're talking about here. But it does because there's this whole thing they talk about, about how people at the state there were so many people at the state department in the U S at the time who were so anti-Semitic and so xenophobic that they just kept trying to deny any, any evidence that the Holocaust was happening until that evidence became too powerful to ignore. Mm-hmm. And so I think you're right. I think that's a very, that's a very good point is because of all the documentary evidence that came out about it as well. It made it a lot harder to deny it as also. Um, and yeah, you're right. We and it's the same thing with with Tulsa too. There's not as much documentary evidence as there was with that too. But um, so yeah, that's another aspect of it that definitely plays into mm-hmm. it. And you see it a lot in these. We're finding out more. I shouldn't say we because a lot of people who are from those communities they've known about this stuff for all this time. Mm-hmm. But I mean, mm-hmm. like people like me, like white people, when we're finding about this stuff for the first time, like stuff about one of the most powerful things I've seen in recent years was the HBO documentary series, Exterminate All the Brutes, which is all Mm. about like the colonial stuff, like all over the world that was going on. And just like shining this, you know, uncompromising light on this, you know, brutal practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's something that, uh, you know, it's interesting. We talk about, uh, you know, villains and heroes very often in, in, when we're talking about superhero media, and sometimes, like when you get to see real life villainy, real life evil kind of uh, come to the forefront, uh, it, it puts those things into perspective. Mm. I, I think that that's been helpful in terms of like my comic book reading um, is, you know, understanding some of that history. And it has led me to, you know, kind of investigate certain things a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're right. I wonder how many kids growing up reading X-Men comics then had to think about, well, I guess I'm going to read, you know, read a little bit more about Holocaust, the Holocaust mm-hmm. because Magneto went through it. So I need to understand a little bit more about it. So I think those those are really powerful. And hopefully people can start to understand a little bit more about uh, the experiences of South Asians from mm-hmm. uh, from partition. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um... 
something else I wanted to mention along those lines. Uh, I'm blanking on it now, but I'm sure it'll come to me uh, later. <laughs> I did want to talk a little bit about, I thought damage control was a weird, kind of a weird choice to use as like these government antagonists because mm-hmm. damage control in the comics, they're just, they're just the cleanup guys, right? They just come in after the battle mm-hmm. and they just clean stuff up. And I thought it, it's really weird to use them instead of all these other organizations that exist in the comics that seem would be much better fit for that kind of role. So I think they're changing damage control from, um, so this is my like weird theorizing. So if anybody, mm. you know, thinks this is like, you know, uh, a kooky idea, but I, I, I think that they're setting damage control up almost because we know that the X-Men are coming. Right. I think damage control is getting set up as the, the folks that are going to build Sentinels. I think um, so too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they're setting it up because, you know, uh, damage control in the comics is like very comedy oriented. Mm-hmm. I remember the damage control comic is like kind of silly. Oh, all this stuff got destroyed. What are we, how are we going to, you know, fix it now? Mm-hmm. Um, but in the, in, in the show, they're much more authoritarian. They're, they're much more kind of semi-fascist. Um, I mean, they make some really explicit, they, they show some explicit, um, you know, kind of connections to, you know, uh, potential fascist uh, mm-hmm. views because, I mean, they they walk into the mosque and they're wearing shoes. They don't have any respect for anybody in the community. They're just kind of like, no, we're gonna, you know, we we need to be able to find out who who in your community is super powered. And I think this is part of the reason she they announced her or they made her a mutant in this series is I think damage control is going in that direction. And I think they need a replacement for um for shield that isn't sword and that isn't um. Uh, say what? What is the other one in space? Oh, um, that sword is the one in space. But I think oh, you're sword of, is the one... I think I think you're thinking of hammer. That was the maybe him. Yeah, the maybe, Norman Osborn's maybe one. Hammer. Yeah. So there, there's they're coming out with the other, you know, uh, with these other groups. But I think they're saving them as being more heroic, and they're going to mm-hmm. kind of say like damage control are the bad guys that are trying to catch all the mutants. See that? Yeah, sword makes more sense because they are always more or less pretty heroic in the in the comics but i did think the fact that you mentioned that now made me think that's exactly what i was thinking when i watched this show i'm like why are they using damage control instead of hammer that seems like a more logical Mm. choice uh because obviously if you use the mrd from the x-men evolution or not uh, i think it was wolverine and the x-men that that card Mm -hmm. handmade to use the mr mutant response division well people are going to know right away that and then the the big twist at the end that she's a mutant is is going to be dead right away so yeah. I understand them not using that, but like I think Hammer would have made a little bit more sense for me, and I and maybe it's just me just holding holding out hope to see like a, you know like a damage control sitcom or something like that. Would <laughs> yeah, be really fun. Well, they had they had a DC version of that uh, a few years ago with Vanessa Hudgens. She was in a show that was kind of like Damage Control, right? And like Alan, the... Alan Tudyk was in that too, wasn't he? I believe. Yeah, yeah, he was in it as well. I think it was only on for one season. It wasn't bad. But, I never um, saw it. I, I it never popped up on any of the streaming stuff. So it might um, be on Peacock now, but I'm not I'm not okay, sure where where it would be. But, I can't even remember the name of it. Do you remember the name of it? I I don't. I okay. I have to check Vanessa Hudgens IMDb I'll, to I'll look, figure I'll it look out. I'll look it up after then. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, that was something I was. I remember a lot of people being very angry about that when it was announced. I'm like, it it's fine. We can have some. We can have a sitcom set in the superhero universe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, Hammer was would I thought would have made a much more logical sense, but um, they they did need need something here, um, and I think 
the the whole mutant thing it it does also it it fits so much better like you were saying for kamala's character for her to be a mutant because the whole thing about the inhumans it's like they're descended from this ancient race of like um royals and all that kind of stuff and it's it it loses some of that everyman aspect that being mm-hmm. a mutant has i think yeah i i also think the inhumans are are harder they're just a harder sell mm-hmm. they also didn't have like a particularly good tv show adaptation no, no. i saw some parts of it it, it was it wasn't great it was not um, it was not <laughs> yeah like uh so i think they want to kind of and and the only reason they were focusing on the inhumans so much was because they you know they didn't have the x-men so now right. they have got the x-men i think they want to kind of tie uh ms marvel closer to to that uh to that particular part of the universe especially and that because was really, they... mostly that was just ike perlmutter's whole whole bugaboo <laughs> because he was in charge of he was when he was running Marvel Studios. He was very big on we can't use the X Men, so the Inhumans are now our X Men. So we pushed them really hard in the comics, and then he was gonna push them in the movies. Disney undercut him, and they separate gave Kevin Feige Marvel Studios can run on his own. And then, but he still had the TV division, which is why we had the Inhumans so heavily featured in Agents of Shield, and when they, why they got their own TV show. And then now that Feige's got control of everything, and he's got the mutants, now we start to see them rolled out in a much more organic fashion yeah i i think i think that'll that'll play out uh with with her character and i think they have uh because iman Vellani is such a good fit for this character and she's such like an audience surrogate in addition to just being a fun uh hero mm-hmm. i think you're gonna see her pop up in a lot of things i think they're really banking on the marvels uh with you know captain marvel and photon and her uh i think they expected to do well mm-hmm and it, I, I think it'll be a fun movie, you know. Um, I think you know, watching She Hulk um, lately, mm-hmm. it, it made me think that because She Hulk is very episodic, right? It's just like mm-hmm. these little kind of like different stories that connect to her superhero life. That kind of makes me think. I, I, I kind of wish that was what we saw more of with Ms. Marvel because it mm-hmm. is at its best when it's focused on those, those character moments, those character interactions, the the mm-hmm. difficulty she has <laughs> balancing the superpowers and. Um, mm-hmm. and her civilian identity trying to discover who she is and i kind of wish that instead of getting this six episode arc about the clandestine and the gin and mm-hmm. and all this stuff that we had just gotten six episodes about her going through the going through life in pakistan as a superpower teenager oh yeah yeah i mean that would have been interesting to see i i think the things that i really enjoyed um in the show uh I, I really loved kind of the depiction of just like everyday american muslim life i thought that mm-hmm. was really cool i thought it was really cool to see um you know you know pakistan in a different different light just seeing people living every day and um it was also really funny to see uh like her family in pakistan is very wealthy so mm-hmm. and you can tell because they've got a huge house this is you know sometimes if you go back to you know the old country you, you might see that your family has a, a ton of money. They've got a big, big place, um, which is kind of contrasted to some of the poverty that you might uh, see uh, in places like Pakistan and India and Bangladesh, mm-hmm. um, because there's a huge income disparity uh, in, in those countries. So I kind of like the fact that we got to see a lot of those things. Um, one thing we didn't get a chance, we haven't talked about uh, in, in the show. One of my favorite parts of the show is that Ms. Marvel is like the most visually... Um, you know, kind of interesting Marvel TV show, I I think, because they did so many little things 
you you know with the text messaging mm-hmm. with you know her doing the little dance number when she when she first meets uh Cameron I I really felt like they did a lot of fun uh things with with the show and and kind of made it a little more uh you know of a flavor uh than than your typical kind of superhero show mm-hmm. uh so I think that was stuff that that really you know was exciting and fun and I think they did a great job like curating really interesting music you know, taking the character to some really interesting places and having some conversations and showing things that you don't usually see. Like, mm-hmm. I never thought we would see, like, a big South Asian wedding in a superhero show of any kind. And to have that happen in um, in Ms. Marvel was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to, ha- to have her, you know, um, y- you know, have to have her, like, save her first person at a mosque was really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was like, oh, this is really, you know, kind of cool. So you got a chance to kind of split the difference between seeing superhero life and kind of her, you know, very uh, unique life in, mm. in New Jersey and then later in Pakistan as yeah. well. Yeah, and those were the things that really got me interested the most. Like as soon as mm-hmm. we got into clandestine and to a lesser extent damage control, those are the times when I started mm-hmm. checking out a little bit more of the series. But mm-hmm. anytime we were in Jersey, we were dealing with, her, her, her struggles with her identity, with her, 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 her life, with her family, contrasting that with her life, with her, with her classmates and all that, all that kind of stuff. I'm just like, man, I love all this stuff. I want to see more of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully, hopefully we get a second season mm-hmm. so we can see, you know, more of that because the storyline with her family in the comics is, is really interesting. Uh, you know, seeing what happens with her brother and his wife, uh, with with Amar and his wife is is really interesting because they have a kid and there's a bunch of really fun ways where the story could go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, also you mentioned about the color too. I think the 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 power change actually helps work towards that too because I can't imagine those those stretchy powers really kind of fitting in as well to the kind of colorful the way they use colors and imagery in this show with mm-hmm. those stretchy powers they have they're having those bright color effects i think it really helps mm-hmm. enhance that as well yeah yeah for sure um you know the color palette for the show is really different i think than most of the uh most of the stuff we see in marvel mm-hmm. and i think that that makes it uh you know makes it really cool you see that in her in her costuming as well like the costume design the way it changes over the course of the series is really cool and kind of reflects her you know, the identity that she ends up building, right? She gets pieces of the costume from everybody that's important in her mm. life. And, you know, that's so, um, it, it's funny. We, you know, people joke about like these prequel stories, like going into details about, you know, where Indiana Jones got his fedora and all of that stuff. And you're like, oh, I don't really want to know that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this was cool. This, it was kind of like really building the character up from the, you know, from the ground level to to another level. I think more than any other character i can really think of is that that reminded me the most of like superman getting his costume right the whole idea mm-hmm. the whole you know you know i like your costume thanks my mom made it for me type of thing or like the fact yeah. that the that his, his earth mom made it from the blankets that he was sent to earth in by his by his parents and i think all of that it feels very similar to the way kamala gets her costume put together mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like she, you know, it's it's so funny that Ms. Marvel as a character is so different in terms of like demographics, mm-hmm. but she echoes so much of classic Peter Parker, classic Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see those, especially if you've read a lot of comics uh, or seen a lot of comic book movies, you can see those echoes in this character. It's very right. clear. 
Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, some of that was probably definitely intentional when G. Willow Wilson was was crafting the character um, mm-hmm. to intentionally make it so that this character is more relatable to a large audience and has that kind of familiarity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, for sure. Even uh, Adrian Alfono's art uh, in the in the comic and in, in the G. Willow Wilson run does a really good job of, of making the character seem more human mm-hmm. than than what we see in other uh, other characters. And, and you see that in when she pops up in some of the other comics, you can see what a big difference it is in how she's depicted versus in her own in her main title where, you know, she does seem like, oh, she's a little short um and you know she doesn't seem like she's that athletic um and that and that's okay i i think that's also something that we see with uh amusingly with iman Vellani. she's not mm. very tall and they don't do anything to hide that she's not very tall it's part of her character it's right like, you know yeah that that was something that really stood out you just reminded me that was something that really stood out when i was reading that that first comic is the fact that she looks like a normal teenager she doesn't look like like <laughs> i remember reading um you know witchblade and you know mm. seeing like you know michael turner drawing like these teenager characters who have like you know massive breasts and long legs it's just like that's not really what teenagers look like but yeah. kamala looks is drawn like a real teenager i thought that was a really nice aspect to that book and and yeah iman Vellani, she's very much a teenage girl she they're not trying to hide any of they're not trying to hide the height thing at all like she looks mm. just like a normal kid mm-hmm. uh, okay i think is there anything else you wanted to mention about uh, Ms. Marvel? Um, j- just a couple of things that I think are 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 important. I think what you know, uh, a lot of the I, I think a lot of the Muslim community like embraced uh, the show because it's it's really fun and it's really cool to see a character uh, like her in um, you know in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's going to be fun to see her in other in other uh, movies and other TV shows. Mm-hmm. And I think the 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 coolest thing about the show is just how much character you get, uh, not just from her, but from from all the characters. Um, you know, but we didn't even talk about like there's a lot that's going on with Bruno. Everybody has like stuff going on, right. and I think it really does capture a lot of that early kind of Spider-Man, Peter Parker vibe of oh, this is like a, a person who just happened to get these powers and is is kind of like working through. Uh, the experiences there and I really think it's it's one of my favorites you know uh, you know I recognize so much of my my own community in in the show mm-hmm. and it's really really fun to kind of see that and to be able to kind of say oh okay I get I get this reference I understand like she has this conversation about Bollywood movies I'm not the biggest Bollywood fan but I I know the movies that she's referencing my wife recognizes a ton of the the songs that are in the background and I think it opened up the world of Marvel to a number of people uh, that probably wouldn't have thought about Marvel as a place where they could see stories of themselves. Mm-hmm. And I hope that continues. I know there's been some some pushback about, you know, She-Hulk and, and some of the other shows that are going to come out. But I really think there's there's a lot of value in in this story and in this show. Uh, and I, I see myself re-watching this um, you know, with with my son, and you know, maybe with some other family members, and really sharing it as kind of a a fun celebration of you know our our place in kind of the American diaspora. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I was thinking that too. Like, you know, when my kids get older, this is definitely something I want them to see. Like, this might be one of their first ways to get into the MCU is through something mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, as for the negative reaction, I think most of that is just 
it's just very loud trolls. And I think Marvel mm-hmm. smartly knows not to listen to them because they've proven mm-hmm. so far that they're not really paying attention. Like that all really kind of started with Captain Marvel when that came out. And mm-hmm. instead of getting cold feet on anything, Marvel almost seems to be doubling down. So I think mm-hmm. they're definitely, and, and they're smart enough to know what kind of response they're getting from from mm-hmm. real people as opposed to just like, you know, a bunch of loud trolls and sock puppet accounts. Yeah, I, I think that's one thing to really uh, to, to pay close attention to is part of the reason Marvel has become so popular is because it's not just, you know, uh, boys that are watching these shows. Mm. There, it's not just, you know, it's it's young ladies. It's it's uh, pretty much everybody who's interested in kind of having a fun time with superheroes. Uh, they can watch these shows and they can enjoy them. So I think it's really, you know, the, that speaks to the power of these original stories and what a broad appeal they can actually have. Well, I mean, I think, and Marvel's always kind of been like that. They've always been kind of like on the cutting edge of, you know, the cultural boundaries, even back in the 60s. I mean, we mm-hmm. look at some of those stories now and they're 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 kind of cringy. They don't age well, but at the mm-hmm. time they were very progressive. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we sometimes forget that because those stories have now become kind of like old hat, but mm. they're they're still for the for the time period they are very cutting edge, and this is part of what makes the uh, makes the brand really strong and and popular. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Sai, thanks so much for for coming on again. Um, uh, do you want to um, tell people where they can find you? Uh, sure. You can find me on Twitter at io uh, io Sai Islam. Uh, you can find, uh, you know, uh, our book, Leaders Assemble Leadership in the Marvel Cinematic Universe on Amazon. Uh, you know, you can go to tinyurl.com backslash Amazon MCU and it'll take you right there. Uh, and you can always uh, reach out to me on uh, Twitter is probably the best place to find me. Uh, and I love talking about this stuff. Love talking mm-hmm. about leadership and, and you know, Marvel Comics and DC, too, if you if you really want to. Uh, I'm a I'm a Zack Snyder defender, so uh, you know that that's that's my dirty secret. So uh, feel free to reach out to me, and, and you can tweet at me about that if you want. <laughs> uh, well, we're we're not we're, we won't hold it against you. <laughs> no, no, no. They're, they're like I I've you know as long as you're not an asshole about it, which you're not. Um, Anthony Desiato, who's been on a few episodes now, he's not either. So mm-hmm. as long as you're not an asshole about it, I've got no problem with you. I disagree completely about it, but I don't understand it. But you know, you do you type of thing. Yeah. I I'm not, I'm not invested in getting, getting anything restored. So, mm. <laughs> you know, I, I got a kid at home. I got other things I got to do. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> but, but thanks again for coming on. You're always welcome back. And all those links and stuff will be in the show notes if you couldn't quite catch them. So you can just go click on them uh, as well. Um, but that does it for this episode of Superhero Cinephiles. SuperheroCinephiles.com is the website. Super Cinema Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And remember, if you subscribe to the Patreon, you get these episodes a week in advance. And you also get access to the Superhero Cinephiles Book Club uh, companion podcast. Where we talk about comics, and graphic novels, all that fun stuff. Thanks so much for listening. And we will talk to you next time. If you enjoy the Superhero Cinephiles, then you'll also love my companion podcast, the Superhero Cinephiles Book Club. All my Patreon subscribers get access to this exclusive podcast where I review superhero comics and graphic novels. Not sure what comics you want to read next or what you should dive into? I've got you covered on that. I'll be doing reviews, recommendations, and also talking to you about useful entry points if you're interested in reading some comics but don't know where you should start. Plus, you'll get access to all episodes of the main show a week before everyone else. 
on all of this for as little as just a dollar a month. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash supercinemapod and you can sign up at any subscription amount to get started. Thanks so much for your support and please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.